it is that week. What week, you ask? Well, that depends who you ask what week it is. To some, it's just another week. To others, it is the biggest week in the history of the world. Penn State Pitt, we're the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Sean Fitz. That's Tyler Donahue. We're here to preview the Nittany Lions trip to Pittsburgh. Wasn't so good the last time around, but Penn State, a different-looking ball club these days. Pitt, you know, they're, they're a team that can give teams trouble and has given teams trouble in the past. So, you know, the, yeah, after after week one where Penn State skirted by Appalachian State, there's certainly question marks uh, on both sides, I think. So Penn State going to go 8 o'clock on Saturday night on ABC. Um, at, it, is it a rivalry? Does, does it matter? Are we still talking about this? We're three years into the series, and this is still the prevailing storyline, which is probably the most disappointing thing of, of coverage this week. Penn State, Pitt, both come in 1-0, both took very different paths to 1-0, and depending on which coaching staff you're speaking with, this game is a very different perspective on both ends. Uh, James Franklin, per usual, Super Bowl, biggest game in the universe, but same thing for next week with Kent State, same thing for the following week when they go to Illinois, same thing for last week with App State, Uh, Pitt. Coach Narduzzi making it very clear that this is a significant in-state rivalry and you want to walk out of this one with your chest held high. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I see points on both sides. I just – is it worth talking about it as much as we talk about it? I mean, it's just like you – know, Penn State Pitt, it, it's always going to be some sort of rivalry. But this is a four-game series that's not being renewed anytime soon. So you play the game, you get out of there. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's obviously a, a tilted game because one team's going to come out of this series 2-1, and one, have the bragging rights until next year, and, and, and we'll see where it goes from there. But, yeah, I mean, it's just – doesn't matter. I mean, this is two football teams. I, I mean, Penn State, obviously, we saw last week. Plenty of question marks on that one. We watched the Albany-Pitt game a little bit earlier today, and I think there's. it's fair to say there's plenty of, of question marks despite the 33-7 to win. There's plenty of question marks on the Pitt side of things. Um, you look down the, the recruiting rankings and all that kind of stuff, Penn State has the talent advantage. Uh, so certainly, um, you know, going over the last couple of years, Penn State's kicked in into high gear in recruiting. We'll talk a little bit about that later. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just to, it, it, it's just one of those things. You just rack, you just beat yourself over the head just hearing this rivalry talk, and it just doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, and perhaps uh, even more annoying than the rivalry talk is anyone that might suggest this is more of a hammer and nail situation because two years ago this Pittsburgh team beat Penn State. Last year, obviously, Penn State controlled it on home turf, but uh, this is a contest that I think you know it, it's going to be a. An opportunity for either of these these teams to take a turn around the corner. You know, it could be positive, it could be negative for Pitt. A win here would send them to two and zero with a lot of momentum. Would be five and two in their past seven games after starting two and five last year. And then for Penn State, a win on the road at Pitt. I think would would quell the nerves a little bit after what we saw from Appalachian State and set the stage nicely for you know that 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 work up to Ohio State. Yeah, we were talking coming into the season, I think it was about a double-digit line. I, I think it's under 10 now, but Pitt is a team that obviously has proven it can beat any team whatsoever uh, that's on its schedule, and they can lose to any team that's on the schedule. Um, I don't think that really matters this week. Um, Penn State is a team that really needs to lock it up on defense if they're going to go anywhere. and That offense will carry them for a while. But, uh, you know, at the, at the same time, I mean, all three levels of that defense were challenged against Appalachian State. I think Appalachian State may actually be a faster team than Pitt. Um, but uh, 
it, it, I think it comes down. You got the scare, you got the challenge on one side, you got the blowout and the confidence on the other side. So you know, I think it comes back to we're just not sure how either team's going to come out of the gate. Of course, last time Penn State was down there, they had the two turnovers early. Pitt dropped on the momentum, and Penn State came back, came up a little bit short. So yeah, this is a game that that, that really could go any way. I think Pitt obviously is going to try and control the tempo with their running game, and I think they've found a pretty good quarterback in Kenny Pickett, although he's still a little bit green. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going down the rundown here, and we're not even into where we're going to talk about Pitt, but it's just, it's an intriguing matchup. It's one of those ones that if it ended up a three-point game, you wouldn't be surprised. If it ended up a 21-point game, you might not be surprised. Yeah, and I think the Penn State defense lost any benefit of the doubt in that fourth quarter. Um yeah, I hope those guys took Trace McSorley and KJ Hamler out for dinner a few times this week because if it's not for some big plays out of those two, the conversation really is focused squarely on the defense. And it already is, but the pressure is so much higher if you're coming off a loss where you blew uh, you know, a significant lead, gave up four fourth-quarter touchdowns. Uh, but that we saw it. I mean, and, and you were down on the field. I stayed up in the press box. We had different vantage points. You were wearing a sport coat in the press box. It was about 140 <laughs> degrees up there. I don't know how you did it. And neither of us, by the way, got on the cover of Sports Illustrated like Mark Brennan. Yeah, so We don't stand out as well as Mark, <laughs> I guess. But, uh, you know, just watching that go down – you know, it just chipped away at any of the confidence you really had about the Penn State defense. They gave up three quarters, uh, three points for those first three quarters, as James Franklin was quick to point out in his press conference. But what the taste in your mouth is, is watching them scramble around, be in disarray, and getting carved up, essentially, by a first-time college starter uh, in Zach Thomas. Yeah, and I thought that's a huge thing to think about. Before we get any further, just a parking reminder, if you're going down to the game this week, and it's, it's, it's insane, it's going to be a cluster. There are going to be people that miss kickoff i think because of this lots open at five o'clock unless you have a pirate's pass so just be aware give yourself some time and uh, i mean if you're a passenger pack yourself some some road sodas or something because it's going to be an it's going to be an interesting ride especially pittsburgh does not handle traffic well to begin with it might be worth investing in, in an afternoon of baseball if you really want to get the tailgate spot yeah. <laughs> speaking of investing penn state had to invest a lot of time this week searching for answers off of week one and i think it starts up front uh we saw kevin gibbons at practice on wednesday night Looked like he was going through the full array of reps, so that's obviously a good sign. James Franklin said earlier in the week he hoped to have him back, which is not an injury. He answered it like an injury question where obviously his answers are all uh, sunshine and lollipops and everything when you're talking injuries because he does not talk injuries. But, I mean, James Franklin's not going to give away whether he's going to have Kevin Givens or not. It's gamesmanship, and that's basically what should be expected right now. But if Kevin Givens gets back, I think it changes a lot of things for this defense. I don't think it changes everything for this defense, but it all starts up front. Um, you, you really weren't wowed by anything. I thought Ellison Jordan played some productive snaps at defensive tackle last week. I think Fred Hansard looked a little bit in, in over his head. Antonio Shelton was okay. Rob Windsor needs to be better but Kevin Gibbons gives you something a little bit different in the middle and I think that would have a ripple effect onto that second half of that or excuse me the second layer of that Penn State defense and we talked about it before but throughout training camp you know who was the guy on that defensive line really aside from Sharif Miller who was getting pointed to as a breakout guy who was going to be blowing up and having a big year it was Kevin Gibbons so not to have him out there week one put the pressure on some of these younger players we wanted to know what they were about like you said I don't think anyone went out there and staked their claim and said I'm going to be that next guy 
up. I'm going to be the defensive tackle that you can count on. P.J. Mustafer, we didn't get a large sample size of him. We know they're excited. Uh, but ultimately, I- I'm with you. I think you know there was a definite uh, slippage, I think, in terms of uh, you know the productivity, the penetrative force. And I think ultimately we're going to see if Kevin Givis can step into that and be the player that has been talked about. Yeah, he can certainly blow things up. Um, but moving outside, I think there's, there's a little bit of concern at defensive end. Obviously, Shane Simmons, uh, we haven't seen him. He was in a boot at the game last week. Um, but, yeah, you're going to lean a lot on Sharif Miller and Yitor Gross Matos. And that's good. They're good players. And Sharif Miller, I thought, had a really good game last week and I think has the potential to have another good game this week. Um, but, I mean, it's uh, that's asking a lot of those defensive ends. Daniel Joseph uh, got, got his feet wet last week. Didn't see a ton of flashing from him. Shaka Tony, you know what you're getting from him as a situational pass rusher for the most part. Nick Tarburton played. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of questions at defensive end. We've been building them up all offseason because certainly the talent's there. But you're looking at a group without Ryan Buckholz. Obviously, Torrance Brown, we knew they weren't going to have. And without Shane Simmons... That, that changes some things for Penn State. Yeah, and I think the one thing that I took away from some of the conversations this week, speaking with uh, Sharif Miller, with Coach Franklin yesterday at practice, Wednesday at practice, uh, takeaway is there is a youth movement at defensive end, and, and that may take some growing pains, and, and that's being spoken about now uh, you know, you know, pretty transparently. I mean, Sharif Miller pointed out the fact that Etor was probably their – fifth guy at defensive end last year. Now he's playing almost 60 reps a game. There was a major fall off in the snap count after Miller and Gross Matos, uh, you know, going down to Tony and Joseph. And, and it was still a lot of, of snaps for them, even though it wasn't really a lot compared to the starters. So I think Franklin, you know, he said it. He said he tours thinking too much. He said uh, he has as much talent as any defensive end. He's been around in college, but it's still not a, uh, you know, a fluid process of transferring that onto the football field. And then, you know, surprisingly, we see a guy like Nick Tarburton, I don't think I expected to see Nick Tarburton in the first half of the first game of this season. And there he was trying to make his case for an expanded role for all, you know, 12 games plus. And the jury's still out there. And obviously it doesn't seem like we're, we're going to need to necessarily count on Jason away early this year. I don't necessarily see an impact there. So Yeah, they went from what seemed to be a really good three deep to maybe a two deep. And that's, you know, one game of the season. That's not ideal. You mentioned thinking a lot. Um, I, th- I, I think we saw that at all levels last week. And, and, and that's probably my main takeaway from the game. Uh, just checking out our Lions 24-7 message boards, there's plenty of people upset with the linebacker play, and I think rightly so. I mean, there's, there's, there's criticism warranted there. But, yeah, that back seven, they were doing a lot of thinking. I mean, two new safeties. Obviously, Nick Scott, you know, has not played a full game. Garrett Taylor probably hasn't played a full football game in three or four years. Uh, Jan Johnson hasn't played middle linebacker since the Michigan game when he got hurt. So, I mean, it's just uh, there's a lot of jitters going in there. There's a lot of... A lot of issues that I think can be fixed, and there's some that probably, you know, it's going to take some time. Cam Brown, we mentioned in the podcast earlier last week, out of sorts at times. Koa Farmer flashed at times, disappeared at others, and and they're not going to be afforded that this week because Pitt's going to run right at them. Pitt's going to try and get to the edge, and, and I mean, it's going to be a multifaceted attack from Pitt because they're not just going to attack you one way. They're going to try and, and get around you. They're going to try and go through you, and they're going to run at you with your fullback, and that could be trouble for Penn State. They just seem to be a step behind where they needed to be just about every phase for that fourth quarter. And obviously that was a disturbing trend to see from the Penn State defense. I think it's also worth noting that John Reed, a guy you think you can count on to to, to know where he's going to be when he needs to be, 
Franklin said it. You know, Franklin said he looked like a guy who hadn't played football for an entire year. Um, and you have to wonder, and it's natural. You're coming off of, of an injury like that. You, you can have that in your mind. Do you trust the knee? Do you trust yourself? Are those instincts there? So I think, you know, we heard, heard it a lot from the staff. We heard it a lot from these defensive players. You expect the big jump between week one and week two in college football. There's no preseason action. Um, and, and that's specifically what you're going to look for on defense. Yeah, and I, and I think I think they'll be okay in the secondary. I do. I, do. I think they've got talent there. I like Tariq Castro Field a lot. We didn't see John Reed much at practice on Wednesday. Uh, shore up that other safety spot. I think they're, they're, they sent Garrett Taylor on too many blitzes that didn't even get close to getting home. Um, so, you know, you can, you can pull that back a little bit, play a little bit safer. And, you know, safer doesn't necessarily mean hesitant. I mean, you can throw more guys in the back there. But, yeah, it's, uh, there, there's certainly question marks. Uh, if, you, if you flip the Kent State in the pit game, maybe you're feeling a little bit better about that secondary growing a little bit. I think they'll be okay. I still have some, some hesitancy at linebacker. Brown and Farmer. I mean, haven't really gotten it done to date. Are we going to see more Micah Parsons? I think so. I think you see Micah Parsons. I think you see him going after the quarterback a little bit more this week. James Franklin said it as a press gathering on Wednesday night that Parsons and Ricky Slater, two guys that are going to see their roles continue to grow, and I kind of think they have to. And what a quote that Tariq Castro Fields gave us. I'm sure everybody ran with it like we did him saying Micah Parsons is a freak and he knows he's a freak. And just funny to see these guys react as they get flashes of Micah Parsons. He obviously was kind of a scene stealer during his first series out there on defense. Exactly what we expected. Some moments of what are you doing, buddy? And some moments of, wow, that guy is going to be one of the best players on this football team for the next few years. Uh, So I think, yeah, Koa Farmer, if he's not feeling it, uh, he's doing a nice job of pretending he's not because he was asked about Michael Parsons kind of breathing down his neck on, on the phone call this week. He said he's embracing the competition. It's going to make everybody better. But I think that's a lot of questions. He's just check got, our message board. Got to say that. Yeah. yeah. Just check our message board. A lot of it is when's Micah going to you know overtake him. And right now I think it's more about Micah picking up chunks of snaps and looking comfortable in that role. Uh, but yeah, I think it certainly is. You know, it, it, no one slammed the door on their job. I will say that. Cam Brown apparently had a cushion going into the season. I don't know how it can be that settled uh, after what we saw in week one. He particularly seemed to be someone who really had difficulty you know, matching the mental aspect of this game with the physical tools, and that's going to be important, and that's what you're going to be looking for from him. Yeah, absolutely. Moving over to the offense, not as much panic over there, depending where you're reading stuff, I guess, but uh, 38 points in regulation, 45 uh, for the game. I, I thought they looked fine. Um, you know, there's there's obviously some hiccups there, and the first half took a little bit longer, you know, aside from that first drive. Uh but beyond that, I mean, I, I think if you go into this game with your right tackle situation settled and it looked like Wednesday night, we saw probably it's on that path to Will Fries. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a question that that Will Fries can do it. I just was they were questioning the separation between the two. And in week one, I think you saw that separation. So Pitt's going to run their defensive ends, uh, try and get around them. And that's obviously been a shortcoming for Chaz Wright his entire career. Um, so I think uh, you settle on. Will Fries, you play him. I mean, I, I I don't know that you see much of Chaz Wright this week, but you play him the three drives to, to to one or something like that, and I think that 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 will settle some things. The offensive line, I think, probably a little bit better than than people will give credit for. I, I mean, the, those plays that stick in your head, the one where Connor McGovern kind of whiffed on the guy and they got some ex- 
sorely. Those are the things that are going to stick in your head. But it, just looking over the game again, uh, the left side of the line played really well. And I think that the, the as those guys on the right side and, and Michael Mennett continue to get some more uh, snaps under their belt, I think they'll be okay. And Miles Sanders' thing is he's going to be more that North Staff guy than, than the wiggle guy like Saquon. He has the wiggle, but I think it was huge. You didn't see him getting hit in the backfield before he could gain any momentum, and that was a good sign. But ultimately, you know, I think Will Fry has seen them ride him out for the whole second half when the offense was at its most productive. And ultimately, to me, when we look at this offense and gauge it and moving ahead to pit, look, K.J. Hamler had less than 10 yards going into the fourth quarter. He, he went off in the fourth quarter. Jawan Johnson didn't have his best game. DeAndre Tompkins didn't catch a pass. Miles Sanders didn't carry the ball 20 times, and they scored 45 points. Trace McSorley said he felt like the, him and his receivers were a little off target early in the game. Right. They didn't have their timing. He said that's the precision has been much better this week of practice. And I expect that to carry over. It was worth noting, Trace McSorley said last Tuesday, they didn't walk off the practice field feeling good about what they put out there. And oftentimes you hear that sets the tone for what happened Saturday. Yeah, and, and last Wednesday when we were there, James Franklin pretty well lit into them. I mean, it was it, it was as animated as I've seen him, at least this year. Um, and th- this week was a little bit different. You know, there was different animation for different reasons. He yelled at Sean Clifford once for not being loud enough, which is uh, pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if there's a group that needs to step up this week, I think it's those receivers. I think Pitt can be passed on. We saw it last week. Uh, Albany, you know, had some drops down the field and, and sort of uh, shot themselves in the foot at times, but was able to get, able to get open down the field. They threw a few bites bad balls that end up as picks, but I think Penn State has the ability to throw the ball, and with K.J. Hamler, uh, with with the game that he was able to put on tape, you now have to account for him a lot more, and I think that opens things up on the outside and, and opens it up for a guy like Juwan Johnson to put those mistakes behind him because he has to be better. Yeah, K.J. Hamler was kind of this mythical figure during the offseason, and what's he going to be? Now it's on film, and now these teams are going to have to respect exactly what he brings to Penn State's offense. You'd think that would open room for, for Jawan Johnson. I'm very curious to see from Jawan Johnson. We talked about it earlier this week. Um, just seemed passive at times. For a guy his size, if, if he can play aggressively, it's such a combination, and I think – he certainly said it was a wake-up call. Again, that sounded like it wasn't just about the team. It sounded like it was more of an individual thing as well. You just want to see how he answers that bell because he has all the potential. Everyone talks about that. Um, but it certainly didn't see it all on display in week one. Yeah, and, and I think that, that needs to be – he needs to be the guy. He needs to step up and be the guy and, and play like it and carry himself like that. He's been a quiet guy his entire career. And if he wants to be a number one, he's going to have to act like a number one. And on the flip side, if he can be that guy – that opens things for KJ in the middle. I mean, it, it, it plays off of each other, and, and it's a very important aspect of yeah, Penn State. DeAndre Tompkins, no targets last week against Appalachian State. Yeah. So that's uh, that's something to watch as well. Uh, special teams, that's an area that definitely needs to be mm-hmm. locked up this week. I mean, that's no question about it. We talked about it earlier this week. Phil Gaiano, not his best debut. Uh, I don't know if it was all on him. you got to be able to expect that onside kick. you you got to get in your lanes. But at the end of the day, it, it lies at his feet. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. I, I mean, Pitt has legitimate weapons in the return game. They lost Quadri uh, Henderson to the NFL. And they're replacing him with a guy that took the opening kickoff back in Maurice French last week. So um, they've got guys that can move. They've got guys that can shimmy through lanes and things like that. Penn State have to stay uh, lane. But they have to keep their lane priorities and, and things like that. I think they'll be okay in that aspect. You get Raf Cheka kicking them out of the end zone, it doesn't matter. And Franklin made this point, and I'm sure a lot of coaches did on Saturday afternoon after their first games. Special teams 
teams can lag behind a little bit and making sure things are a polished product for the season, especially as we said, there's no preseason, there's no tune-ups really for special teams. Uh, so you can see some mistake, especially early in the year, but you can't do it week two. You can't give up another kick return. Nope. You got to have things tightened up if you're in an onside kick situation, uh, especially if it's uh, you know something that you wouldn't anticipate it. Uh, I just think right now, well, for Penn State, the one thing that you take away as a major positive away on special team is Jake Pinnaker because I tell you what, to check that off your list and knowing that the kid's already been tested under a very high pressure situation. I know it wasn't a 50 yard field goal. But if he misses that extra point, Sean, Penn State is 0-1. Yeah. And, it, and it's just that simple, and he knew that. So I think for him to already pass that test, for as much as they have to worry about in some capacities, Phil Galliano can feel pretty good about what they have at that field goal situation. But, of course, another test in a road matchup, adverse situation. We'll see how Jake handles that. But I thought that was important. Yeah. Last note, looked like Tommy Stevens getting a little bit closer to getting back. He was at practice last night. Really wasn't doing anything. But, uh, you know, it's good to see him out there. He's, he was out of the boot and everything. So, you know, it, the closer he gets to being back, the more you can can really do with this offense. So, I mean, that's obviously good news for Penn State. I want to see the line. I mean, I think we all want to see the line get on the line, get on caged, and uh, he's out of the boot. That's a good start. Pittsburgh problems scoring last year um, at times. You know, but we we saw that when they went to Beaver Stadium and they sort of ran the clock down, scored fourteen points, and just kind of. I think played a little bit not to get blown out um, and ran the ball well into the third and fourth quarter. Um, Will that change? I don't know that the outlook has to change. This is a team that will run the ball into the ground though. You know, like we mentioned earlier, they're going to run it up the middle. They're going to try and get to the edge with those jet sweeps and, and try to uh, exploit Penn state's uh, lateral speed. So we'll we'll see what happens. But last week Pitt scored all of its 33 points in the first half. And that's you and I were here earlier and and I had the game on it at the house and I'm just watching it. And then they're at 33 at halftime. I said, did they not score? Because I didn't follow it all that closely. Mm. And you looked it up, a a bad fumble by Kenny Pickett, a pick which got tipped up in the air and a couple of punts. So they took the foot off the gas as well. Um, So, yeah, I think there's there's potential to say that there's still a lot of question marks with Pitt. They, Albany was not impressive whatsoever. And 33-7, to 7, probably not the outcome, you know, as impressive as an outcome as it could have been. Yeah, 33 points at halftime. You've got a quarterback who you're not going to really rein in for the second half. You want to give this guy an opportunity to grow and you know, we were watching it, and they did that, and the offense didn't move. Uh, and, and you know, the, the fumble, that was a lesson learned. He got airborne, and he got beat up a little bit. tried to hurdle, and it did not work close to what Saquon Barkley was able to do. But I think ultimately they do come out of that game feeling pretty good about where they have a quarterback. I mean, Matt Brown, a former five-star recruit last year, was a disaster at Beaver Stadium. He just never really had his wits about him. He was awful. And, and they dominated time of possession last year. It was like the old Princeton offense. It was like they just tried to maintain possession, maintain possession, not let Penn State touch it. Didn't work out for them. I think this year, I would imagine because of their trust in Pickett and being home, you know, he's, he's played that Miami game at the end of last year on the road at Virginia Tech. I just have to imagine they're going to be willing to take more shots against Penn State, especially after what Zach Thomas did in his first start. Yeah, I think Kenny Pickett 13-14 of 14 in the first half last week, so very efficient. Didn't really go down the field. I think he went down the field once in the first half. Um, had some luck with that with some man coverage. But, yeah, I mean, Pitt, I don't think Pitt's a team that, that, that takes a ton of shots, and, and that's probably they're probably being bland for week one. They've done that in the 
past and sort of sat on it before. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly, I have questions about how much they're going to be able to gain separation. You know, we saw it last week. Separation doesn't necessarily mean, uh, completions on one side or incompletions on the other, but yeah, I have questions about their receivers and I, I don't think it's the fastest team out there, but they've done a good job of coaching around it. We saw it two years ago. They, they put in the jet sweeps, they did the shovel passes and, and that is something that can really concern you if you're Penn State because you've got Coa Farmer and Cam Brown on the outside that haven't shown that they can, you know, put together the fo- football acumen to, to do what they need to do to stop those plays. So that's certainly something when you go from Pickett to his weapons on the outside, I think it's more about how you get them the ball than, you know, whether or not you push them downfield. Yeah, and I think ultimately, you know, why wouldn't Pitt at least, you know, test the boundaries here of, of Penn State, see see where they're that where they are mentally? Because I mean, you can test, you can you're going to be able to find out pretty early which of these Penn State defenders have a hangover from what they experienced against App State. Maybe have that self doubt lingering, and it could take one big pit play. I think it's going to be really important to watch the body language of Penn State's defensive players early in the game because if they can't set the tone early and they're struggling again. I think that doubt creeps in. The inexperience again rears its head. At the same time, though, uh, you know, this is where I think, you know, it's the old adage, turnovers win the game. But I think specifically, if they can come up with an early turnover, Pickett doesn't turn it over much. We saw his fumble. We saw his interception. Interception was on a batted pass. He's only thrown two picks on 90 pass attempts in college football. That's a pretty good track record so far. But I think ultimately right now, uh, it's a lot of it is about where Penn State is uh, from a confidence level on defense. Yeah, varying degrees of drops for Kenny Pickett. I mean, he gets the ball out quick at times, but he also, you know, does take a five-step drop at other times. So Penn State should be able to get a little bit more pressure this week. They'll move the pocket. They'll get him around. He's fairly accurate on the run as well. So I, I think they'll move him around a little bit and try and just pound the flats and, and, and really just dink and dunk their way down the field. You mentioned the fast start. Obviously, last time Penn State was out there, they did not have a fast start. Pitt just hopped on them right away, had a couple of turnovers, and, and, and that's pretty much what ended up costing them at the end of the game. So, I mean, it's it, it's one of those situations you have to control yourself. And maybe you take a shot or two down the field early, and that's fine, but you you got to um, – McSorley had, the, had trouble at the mesh point last year. Pitt attacked it right away, um, forced a fumble, and, and turned that into a touchdown. McSorley's got to be great on his decision-making. I think Miles Sanders has potential for a big game in his hometown. Um, but, yeah, I think it's got to be all on McSorley right now. And, I mean, it is worth noting we, we said you know, that Penn State can score 45, they can win these games no matter how good the defense is. Uh, two years ago, Saquon Barkley had five touchdowns and they didn't win the game. So, yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing is here, are you going to make Trace McSorley go out there with two minutes to go and win this thing for you? Or are you going to let him off the hook this time around? I think they'd prefer to have it settled before then. I think they would. Pitt's offense uh, going to move around a lot, a lot of motion. Uh, like we said, those jet sweeps have been lethal for for Pitt in the last couple of years, and Penn State has struggled to, to stop them. I think the, the the only guy that's actually done that is Torrance Brown, and obviously he's not playing. So a lot of pressure on the DNs, a lot of pressure on the outside linebackers to keep that one in. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're going to do a lot of play action, a lot of fakes and things, and misdirection and things like that to, to, to kind of get those off. I think those safeties are very important in, in run defense right now. Um, do we see a little bit more of Lamont Wade? I think he was a little bit more effective in run defense than, than Garrett Taylor last week. But at the same time, you know, the, it's a give and take because Garrett Taylor was better in pass defense. So a uh, ton of questions, I think, 
think Pitt has the potential to really exploit what Penn State's doing as they continue to grow. I think this this defense will be okay eventually. I don't think the answer, um, despite what our message board says, is is changing all eleven and, and mm-hmm. switching out and going with all the freshmen or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean it's uh, it's going to be a challenge for Penn State. I think they will take their lumps. I think they will give up some points in this game. And I think it's worth noting just watching some of that Albany game. AJ Davis seems to be a guy who's gaining traction in the backfield. They've got Olison Hall being the seniors, more experienced players. Uh, AJ, good, group, good group of backs. Good group of backs. Yeah, and AJ Davis, what I think is important to watch with him, and I remember this from his high school film. He's a good receiver, so he can be a threat if they work him out and some space too. And Pickett's not afraid to check down and, and find the guy in the flat and go yeah. with it, and 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 they'll take chunks, yeah. and that'll work for them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, going into the offensive line, uh, I think they're solid. I don't think they really did all that much. Just looking at the Albany tape last week, a lot of zone blocking, just getting out in front of guys and and, and making it work. They're going to run a lot behind their fullback, uh, Sean or not Sean S. George Aston, not Rudy. Sorry, um, yeah. fullback. But yep. yeah, uh, <laughs> it gets fun to watch play. He will. I'm not sure how many concussions he has had or will have, but the kid throws his head around. I want to see lot. a nosebleed this week. That's yeah, what I want to see from a fullback. He's he's got the blood down the face type look. <laughs> uh, Penn, or excuse me, uh, Pitt was missing Alex Bookser starting right tackle last week. Gabe Hoy started in his place. No word on whether or not they will have him. It seems to be it seems to be the thought that Bookser will be back for Pitt. Um, so obviously that's that's a big deal. He's probably their best offensive lineman. I don't think it's an overwhelming line. You, you mentioned the PF. Stats a little bit ago that said that had two of the two of the pit offensive linemen in the top All five conference. in the ACC. Yeah, that might be a little bit of a stretch based on what we saw, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a solid group. That I'm not sure that they're going to move a ton of people, but if Penn State runs out of gas on that defensive line, like there is potential that, that they could could be an issue. Yeah, and I, I like the interior of their offensive line, starting with Morrissey, the, the center. I, I, they got two seniors bookending him at guard. Uh, I think both the guys are fifth-year players. So, again, we're talking about experience, stability on the interior for Pitt. You know, they're going to get a test themselves. But I think right now, again, the focus is how is this defensive interior look for Penn State? And if Givens is back on the field and ready to go, how much are they going to rely on? Is it going to be like we saw Gross Matos and uh, Miller getting a ton of the snaps and then everybody else got a, some of them? Or are we going to see rotation? Because, again, last week, didn't see a lot from the second, third tier defensive tackles. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's going to be something. Where's Morrissey from again? Jersey. Yeah. No. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, solid group there. Penn State should have its work cut out for him. Uh, defensively, uh, I, I started the defensive ends. Uh, you got uh, Rashad Wheeler and, and Dwayne Hendricks there for the most part. They rotate some guys in, but those guys are all over the place, uh, not necessarily in the right place. They get upfield a little bit too much sometimes. So uh, you'll see what uh, how, how Ryan Bates and Will Fries can handle them on the pass rush. But I think it comes down to Trace McSorley reading that. We saw it two years ago, uh, Pitt really attacked the mesh point. They got a turnover out of it. Um, McSorley was a little bit hesitant in terms of of making the decision, and and it cost him at times. So I think these guys are going to be big big time cogs in this game. Whether that means that they're standout players for Pitt or that they're going to get burnt, I'm not sure yet because that's uh, there's certainly the potential there just looking at the tape for both of them. So um, beyond that, I think it's a good group of linebackers. Uh, Pat Narduzzi will send them after the quarterback and they can get to the quarterback. Wargenis in the middle is a very good player. Uh, he's been hurt the last couple of years, but they've got a couple of, a, a couple of good players in that, uh, in that second level of that defense. And on the counterattack, I'm curious to see what we see from the Penn State offensive backfield uh, in week two because Miles Sanders started strong, finished great, 
And there were some moments where he just wasn't involved in the offense for stretches. Obviously, that set the stage for Ricky Slade to go off and have his 27-yard touchdown run. Nice debut for him. Mark Allen showed he can contribute as well. Um, but I think ultimately this is a game back in his hometown where I think Miles Sanders, if you can ride him early and open things up for the entire offense, he just seems like he's motivated, ready to make that step. And uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see if Penn State's going to say, you know what, we're going all in, 25, 30 carries, we'll see where it takes us. Yeah, that's a good point, and I, and I probably wouldn't be against that. I said it earlier this week that I was curious about the rotation at running back. I wasn't upset about it or anything like that because I thought Mark Allen's probably deserves more credit than he's been getting this week Ricky Slade obviously had the the big punch pull um but I mean it's it's been I I think it's Miles Sanders show and I think it's ready for him to to take over the next part of the defense is where where we move to I think is where Penn State has the biggest advantage that secondary at Pitt can be thrown on there's some familiar names back there DeMar Hamlin's back there I think Paris Ford has has been long awaited debut Paris Ford yep so I, I, I they certainly have some talent to work with but I mean they I don't know that it's a, a group that has meshed all that well. Albany was able to get down the field on them. I think Penn State obviously has a little bit more speed and talent than Albany on the outside. So the opportunity is there. I can see Pat Narduzzi playing that quarters, trying not to let anybody behind him. And I can see KJ Hamler really benefiting from that. I just see the athleticism being a major edge for Penn State on the perimeter uh, when you look at this matchup for what they have on offense. And a lot of that obviously is the emergence of KJ Hamler. But again, the ability and talent level of Jawan Johnson to go out there. And I think he can feast on any of these guys if he's playing at his at his top-tier performance level. And I think DeAndre Tompkins isn't going to be completely quiet again. We know that he has the speed to beat uh, basically anybody downfield. And, and I think ultimately – um, are we going to see anyone else step up? Is it Brandon Polk? Is, you know what we saw from him late against App State. Is he going to be that guy, or is Jahan Dotson going to make his debut? We still don't think Justin Shorter's uh, you know necessarily in the mix quite yet. We'll find out. Uh, but I think there again. There are ways to test these guys, but Penn State's receivers, they're going to need to step up. Uh, I do like the matchup, though, if Penn, if those guys are ready to roll. Yeah, I'm curious about the tight ends. I mean, this is, this is a group that we saw last week that, you know, sort of blended in and did okay, which is pretty much better than the expectation that we had. A couple important catches. John Holland, John Holland had a couple important catches. We talk about that one down the field, but he also had a catch to get the two-minute drill started to, to, to put them in position to score. Um, Danny Dalton, we've seen a bunch in practice. Didn't really see a ton of him last week. Pat Fryermuth came in and blocked, I think, on two of the touchdown runs. So that helps as well to have a tight end that can block someone is, is nice. You know, It's good to see. Um, but uh, no, I mean, if they could give you a little bit of something, and, and we talked about how open the middle of the field that can be, um, maybe you get something out of your tight ends this week. I'm really curious to see Holland because to me, he's always been like the guy who you're waiting to get that the moment of, of busting out and then just moving ahead and being confident because he's always been kind of that tantalizing athletic force at tight end, but never been able to showcase it in games. Now that he has a couple of those under his belt from the App State, just wondering if he can carry that forward and really seize control of this spot. I will say Danny Dalton, you know, He's looked pretty good in his spots, but I think Holland, to me, is a guy who can be a difference a difference maker. I think Dolan won't hurt you. I think he'll get the job done. 
to me, out of all these tight ends we're talking about, including Fryermuth, uh, I think Holland is the guy that can present some matchup issues. Yeah, I think right now that's probably true. I think Fryermuth is going to be the best of the bunch. But oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah, going yeah. to be it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, if they can not, not stay out of everyone's way, but if they can give you some positive plays. And that's, that's obviously a plus for Penn State. Pitt, you know, is going to go into this game with the world against us mentality that Pat Narduzzi likes to put in. He was very vocal about that this week yeah. where the disrespect and all that kind of stuff that he talks about every year. Um, but, yeah, this is going to be a team that's fired up. This is going to be a team that's going to try and come out come out of the gates fast. I think the, if they get the, the, the ball first, they're obviously going to try and make some things happen right away, and Penn State's got to be ready for that. And sort of I, I, I look at the first quarter. I mean, this is a, a pivotal first quarter or pivotal quarter of Penn State's season. I mean, you've, you've got to keep the keep them from getting the gas. If you can get a turnover, that's great. If you can get a, you know, if you get the the ball right off the bat and KJ Hamler can get yourself a good return, they can put you in a good spot. And, you know, you give Trace McSorley a lead. He doesn't often, you know, give it up despite what I think some people think. So going to be a really interesting game. I think Penn State has more talent. Um, we'll get into predictions at the end of the podcast, but it's definitely a, a lot closer than people, some people want to admit. In a way, I feel like Penn State's almost coming up on, you know, a four in the road and, and especially defensively either they're going to go one way and tighten this up and look like a top 10 team capable of winning the big 10 championship not saying we're going to get all those answers on saturday night but they're going to head in that direction or i think the ball could roll in the wrong direction and we could see this defense get thrashed early lose its steam and, and i just i just think there is a danger there if they struggle early for that to carry throughout the contest i'm not worried about the offense if we see two drives early Maybe even a turnover, you know, the punt, whatever. I think Trace McSorley, you trust in the rebound. I think right they now get their points. Yeah, yeah. Right now, I just don't trust the defense to rebound if they have a rough start, based on what we saw against Appalachian State. Speaking of rebounding after a rough start, go back two years. Pittsburgh obviously won this game. Penn State turned it around. A couple weeks later, got thrashed by Michigan, but ended up with a Big Ten title. Mm. That really opened up the recruiting floodgates for James Franklin. Uh, obviously, a, a, a pretty good 2017 class. The 2018 class was top five in the country. So where have things gone since then? Uh, I, I think it's really the story of, a, of two different directions for Penn State and Pitt. Pitt, you know, they'll get that win and they'll get the momentum momentum from the, from the win against Miami and the win uh, at Blue. They beat Clemson as well um, and Penn State. So they've got these huge wins, but you look at the, the total record and you're, you're hovering right around 500. And, you know, if you're recruiting, you've got these, these – you know, these big moments and everything, and you have to soak them up for everything that they're worth. You think back to when they beat West Virginia, when West Virginia was number one or two um, back in the in the last decade, and, and Pitt really turned that around and got some of their best players off of that. Um, you, you just don't see that right now. And, and there, I think there's a little bit going into that. You've got a couple different points of emphasis. Penn State has really emerged as the regional giant, and not that that's really anything new, but it's just been on, on another level. Um, they've moved more national based on what they've they've had in their backyard the last couple of years but I think it's a different national Pitt has taken I guess probably the the Mark D'Antonio approach um, which obviously Pat Narduzzi would have learned at Michigan State where you, you've got Michigan and you, you're going to have to cherry pick some guys you're going to have to win some head to head battles but you're for the most part trust your evaluations cherry pick guys out of Ohio they've got guys from uh, from New Jersey as well the DMV they did pretty well last year and then they've gone to Florida for a lot of kids it's 
been a mixed bag. You've got a lot of guys that have come in, um, some guys that have barely made the grade that aren't with the program anymore. So there's been a lot of turnover in that aspect, but I think it's really hurt the roster in general. So just looking at them in the last couple of years, it's it's been a situation where pit recruiting has suffered at home, but it hasn't hit on everybody away, and I think that's really hurt them. Sean, you are the best in the business at compiling lists of anticipated visitors for Penn State game. I'm looking at Pitt's schedule here. Uh, I think they play five ranked opponents. They have Virginia Tech later in November at home, but the others are on the road except for this game. Are they going to pack this place, Heinz Field, with a bunch of top recruits this weekend? Because they sh- they need to. That I mean, this is when you need to do that. Yeah, and we put up something from on the site this week from the 2016, and there was a there was a ton of talent there, and 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 I think Pitt is trying to showcase that big game atmosphere that they don't always get. They have the opportunity to get it, and it, and it depends on the opponent, obviously. But I mean, it's it, it's been one of those things where they've had trouble getting guys uh, going head to head with Ohio State, getting guys on campus, going head to head with Penn State, getting guys on campus, and it's just all over the place. So this has got to be an opportunity where they t- they take to get some of their local guys on campus then expand and, and, and bring in some other guys what Pitt did this spring was was interesting because they they use a ton of their official visits and those reset at the beginning of the school year but they use a ton of official visits they didn't have any commitments for the longest time and I think they had 13 in in a matter of of days so a little bit different approach this year and it's and it's it's been They've really benefited from that early um, that, that early official visit uh, rule. So moving on from that, I mean, what targets are still out there? What targets are mutual targets with Penn State? Like Mike Mike Carmody is uh, offensive tackle from out Western Pennsylvania. I'm looking at the 2020 list in Pen- in, in Western Pennsylvania, and there's not a ton out there. Nikal uh, Hill Green's a linebacker. Jake Lug is out there. Jack Salapek's a quarterback that I like at Norwin. Uh, tight end from Woodland Hills as well. So there's there, there's some talent out there, but you need to plant your flag. And the way Penn State has been recruiting. Uh, all over and around their region, it's, it's been tough for them to do. And I'll tell you what, I mean, you just look at what, what Penn State's been able to do, uh, keeping kids in Pennsylvania, not even just keeping them away from Pittsburgh, but keeping them away from the best that Power 5 football has to offer, whether it's Ohio State or Alabama and Georgia, to keep guys like Micah Parsons and Zach Koontz and Jesse Lucetta, obviously being a Canadian, but in school of Pennsylvania, they cleaned up. And then this last cycle was a prime example of that. And if you look over at the composite rankings for 24-7 sports, it's just an amazing degree of difference between blue chips signed by Penn State from Pennsylvania versus those signed by Pittsburgh from Pennsylvania, particularly Western Pennsylvania. And I think ultimately right now, Penn State, I mean, we talked to a lot of recruits. It's often, oh, who are you considering? Well, Penn State, Ohio State, maybe Michigan, uh, and then maybe an SEC school like a Georgia or an Alabama. You don't hear a lot of kids saying, well, it's down to Penn State, Ohio State, and Pittsburgh. You just don't hear that. Yeah, it's crazy how that's sort of shifted. We mentioned they, they've got a lot of Florida kids. That just pit right now, three guys from Penn, or from Pennsylvania in their class, only one from the Whippeal, which is uh, it's atypical. Pitt needs to, you know, if they're going to put together these classes, they're going to give them, a, you know, a little bit better body of work. You've got to make uh, your bread and butter in Western Pennsylvania and then expand out. Uh, they've had a lot of success in Ohio. Obviously, Kenny Pickett's from Jersey and a couple other starters from New Jersey as well. But, yeah, it's been – it's sort of uh, two different directions. Penn State's in that top 10 area right now. Pitt is in that top 
45 area now in recruiting rankings. And obviously they're not the be all end all, but you know, when you, when you're looking at stacking up rosters uh, across the board, that's, that, that's obviously a big disparity. Going back to my original point, you know, people ask me all the time, does one game really matter anything? And I think the 2016 Pitt Penn state game is a, a really good example. Cause obviously, you know, not the greatest look for Penn state, probably a low point in the, in, in James Franklin's career, but they rebounded, they went 10 and two. And then all of a sudden you can build from that pit. Obviously that's a high mark for, for Pat Narduzzi to get that win. They turned around, I think won uh, seven or eight games that year. It's just kind of okay. And they really didn't, weren't able to capitalize on that. So it's, it's one of those things where the body of work has, has sort of uh, been all encompassing and Penn state's really benefited from that pit just hasn't gotten that stronghold yet. And for all the commotion around this game and, and the rivalry talk and the biggest game in the universe, ultimately these teams don't share a conference. They're going to move ahead and they both have a bunch of tests that await a pit in the ACC, Penn state and the big 10. And look, I know this is a huge game for right now, but let's face it. If Penn state even were to lose this game, then went on a tear and played great the rest of the way hey does that sound it's, unrealistic it's because it happened done, two yeah. years ago when, when Penn State didn't really have that cachet so um, I think ultimately you know you're, you're thinking long term but I right now I think for Pitt again I mentioned turn the corner this would be a turn the corner thing for them because they five and two in the last seven games Miami Virginia Tech played them tough beat the Hurricanes and I think this is an opportunity for Narduzzi to say hey, we are showing sustained signs of progress because if they lose this game at home, then you say, well, Pittsburgh, what do you expect week in, week out? We don't know. They win this game. You start to gain a little bit of traction in that regard. I don't know. I think Narduzzi would avoid saying we are in any sort of context. <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right. But, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's going to be interesting. I think you go back to the stars matter, stars don't matter. But, but talent in terms of, um, you know, where Penn State's roster is, where Pitt is right now, I think you look, talent's going to win you more games in the long haul. Yeah. I mean, anybody can beat anybody on any given day, but talent's going to win you more games in the long haul. Speaking of which, we've got predictions now. Anybody can beat anybody on any given day. Is Pitt going to beat Penn State this week? They may, but I'm not going to predict it. Uh, I'm going Penn State 30, uh, Pitt 20. Uh, my train of thought is, again, here, I, I have no doubt McSorley is going to get 30, maybe conservative on, on the point total. Uh, I have a lot of confidence that Penn State's going to get rolling. I see a big game from Miles Sanders, as I mentioned. I think he'll get more touches. And ultimately, I think we'll see a more buttoned-up version of the Penn State defense. I don't think uh, we're going to see... Uh, a 180 and say, oh, this defense figured it out. Ohio State has no chance against them in a few weeks. But I think we're going to see a defense that looks like they know a little bit more about where they need to be and be accountable. Uh, you know, 20 points, I think a lot of Penn State fans would probably take that after giving up 28 against App State. So I got Penn State improving to 2-0 you know, and, and getting it there with an interesting path. But it would really set the stage nicely for the rest of their September leading up to that Ohio State matchup. Yeah, 20 points based off of what we saw in week one. I think Penn State fans would probably take that in just about every week this yeah. year. I think they will give up some points. I have Penn State winning 35-27. Um, I, I, like I said, I'm not sure where the spread is right now, but I think it started close to two touchdowns. I think it's and, slightly over a touchdown now yeah, at this I mean, point. Pitt, Pitt is playing with a chip on its shoulder, the, the us-against-the-world mentality, and, and, and they've got some guys that can take it to the house. Penn State needs to, I, and, I, and I say this so often, but I'm not just – I'm not. I'm not being oversimplifying things. Penn State needs to tackle. 
I mean, they yeah. got a tackle. They're okay. They were in spots last week where they found themselves, um, you know, chasing. And Garrett, T- Garrett Taylor had a good missed tackle at the end, it turned out. But they were in the spots to make those plays. If they finish off those plays, I think they'll be okay. Special teams is going to be huge this week. Um, you know, if you, if you kick that ball through the end zone, I think it changes a lot of things. And you're going to have to make Kenny Pickett win the game. I think he's a really good quarterback. I think he's going to have a, a very bright future at Penn State. But if you can rattle them, if you can get in his face and, and, and cause a turnover or two, I think he can be okay and the silver lining and i'm not the first one to point this out about app state was you got the wake-up call without picking up the loss because usually you get them both together in a package deal penn state avoided the l they got the wake-up call we'll see if that rings true but i think the us against the world mentality that Pitt has can be countered a little bit by maybe some disrespect penn state's feeling right now and saying well y'all stop you everyone's off the bandwagon we're falling in the ap poll I guess you guys forgot what we accomplished in the last couple of years and what we can do. So I think Penn State does have more of an edge than if they had gone out and beaten App State by 28 points. Yeah, App State's a good football team too. So I'm really curious to see how they respond that week one to week two um, comment that that everybody makes. I don't think there. I think there's a lot of truth to that because um, you know, we've seen it over and over every year. So Penn State's got the opportunity to put points on the board, keep Pitt from starting fast. Uh, If you force a first quarter turnover and obviously win the turnover battle, I think you're in pretty good shape. Um, They've they've got the talent to to make this a – you know, a, a fairly comfortable game, but at the end, you're playing in someone else's stadium at night, which is a, a very tough, uh, very tough environment, uh, no matter who's filling the stadium. So uh, that, that's probably about it for us. We'll be back next Monday with the Lions 24 7 podcast. We thank you for listening. Uh, all three of us are headed to, uh, to to Pittsburgh this weekend for the game, so follow along with our coverage. He's Tyler Donahue. I'm Sean Fitz. Uh, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, pretty much anywhere we're at. Thank you for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast and have a great weekend.